All right, oh, what were we talking right. about? We were talking about caterpillars. We were talking about caterpillars. We were talking about my audio. When you say and caterpillars, then... you say it with a hard R, like caterpillars. I can't say yeah. it. Say it again. Cater- caterpillars. Caterpillar. Cater- caterpillar. Caterpillar? Like Caterpillar? How's it spelled? It's spelled like caterpillar, right? Yeah, but I think I'm just from the South. I don't I can't say that word. Caterpillars. Caterpillar. Caterpillars, right? Have been kind of the bane of my existence right now. Today because I've been doing caterpillar surgery on squash. And I'm I'm talking like scapels and syringes. It's girl, it's been a lot. Your squash is so lucky to have you. I would, if it was like the between the squash and the caterpillars, or like let's say, God forbid, there were roaches, that cat that squash would have to die. You know, you know that meme that has the little girl and she's like crying, but she's coloring. Yes, that's yeah. me. That's me in the squash and the caterpillar. <laughs> like I hate it, but I do. Do you have a black thumb? Are you wondering what the word horticulture means? Are you a little bit seedy? A little shady? Do you stand in the garden and wonder, what the f am I doing? Do you look at people's yards and wonder, what the f are they doing? If so, this podcast is for you, no matter your gardening experience level. I'm Shannon. And I'm Marcella, two friends who like to laugh and learn our way through life and gardening. Tune in as we interview some awesome people who talk to us about their love for plants, trees, gardens, bugs, and more. Welcome to CD and Shady AF, a sketchy gardening podcast. Hey, Marcella. Hey, Shannon. Do you remember that time when you almost got fired from the podcast? I do remember the time I almost got fired from this podcast because the producer, aka you, <laughs> is a little bit extra. And we were just still trying to figure out the audio situation. So let me say, listeners, that she says that I'm extra, but you will hear. I, I want to apologize up front. We were, this was our first podcast that we recorded. And Marcella's audio, if I say it's terrible, it's not even like explain how bad it is. She sounded like she was talking in us in a paper bag underwater. Maybe I was. Maybe I was really committed to this episode. I think you were because we were talking this episode. It's all about, um, we talked to entomologist Molly Keck all about bugs. And at one point we were talking about shrimp in the ocean. So I think that Marcella definitely took it to heart. (laughs) (laughs) So please give the folks a little idea of what's coming up. Yeah. So as you mentioned, Molly Keck is on the show today and she is an entomologist from Texas A&M. She talks to us all about bugs and helps clarify some misconceptions that we have about bugs and talks about how they're good for the garden, how they can be bad for the garden. She even finds a purpose for cockroaches, which I didn't think was possible. I was actually cringing the whole time we were talking about the cockroaches because I hate cockroaches. So do you have any experiences with bugs in your garden? There are so many bugs in my garden, especially caterpillars. (laughs) (laughs) So, no, please go ahead, sit back and relax and uh, enjoy the show. We talk all about eating bugs as well. So it'll be really cool. So we have uh, Molly Keck today. Uh, Molly, do you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah. My name is Molly Keck. I am an entomologist with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service, and I'm based out of the Bear County office. So we do, uh, we basically are the outreach arm of the A&M system. And so I do a lot of outreach education to anybody and everyone who needs or wants to hear about insects. 
Awesome. So can you kind of explain like an entomologist for our audience? What does an entomologist do? An entomologist is a scientist that studies insects and their relatives. So they could study spiders or other arachnids or, or millipedes, centipedes, things like that. Um, and I mean, every entomologist kind of does something different. Some are in research, some might work for industry and um, work on either the sales or the research side of, you know, pesticides and things like that. Um, academia is a big one for a lot of people that are entomologists. The thing that I guess um, that I like about entomology and got me interested in it is that there's just so many subfields within that. So it's this huge umbrella, but you can do taxonomy, forensics, um, uh, anything that you can imagine you can, you can do with insects. They're, they're the perfect model. Perfect. So your specialty is an urban and a structural entomology and providing pest management. So when I read that, I was thinking like, if I'm in my office downtown and I'm in a Mexican standoff with a beetle, you'd be the person <laughs> I would call to come help out with that. Well, I don't know if I can come and help you with it. I'd just tell you to come way up and get over it. But um. <laughs> that's, that's, which is also really good advice. But what does a structural and urban entomologist do? So it's a field of entomology that deals with insects that are um, just related to an urban environment, a home, or some other kind of structure. It could be schools, businesses, things like that, restaurants. Um, and so it's mainly uh, flies. Um, fleas are also included, roaches, bed bugs, ants. Those are kind of the big five. I know I'm, I'm not thinking of some termites as the other. Well, actually, I should say that's the big six. Um, so we work with those things that bother us in our home and where we find shelter. Yeah, that's a pretty good segue to one of our other questions. You know, we're going to we're going to circle it back to, to gardening. But something that I really wanted to know um, was often hear people throwing around the word water bug using interchangeably with roaches. So is a water bug just a euphemism for a roach or are they actually different? Well, there is a water bug. I think that's the problem with common names is that we, different cultures, different states, um, just everybody uses different common names that may or may not be accurate. Uh, so there's there are water bugs. Giant water bug is usually what people are thinking of, but kind of the polite way to say that you have roaches is to call them water bugs. And I hear that a lot from people that are in the southern part of Texas and Florida. They also say palmetto bugs, but I just call them cockroaches because that's what they are. Yes, my sister is in Florida and she says palmetto bugs. And I'm like, girl, that's a cockroach. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm in North Carolina and that's the same <laughs> thing that they tell us. Like, that's a water bug. I'm like, that's a roach. <laughs> yeah. But the thing that is funny in Texas, you know, we have like the, the uh, pest control guys have like big giant dead roaches on the top of their trucks and they advertise very well for it. But in other parts of the country, it's a secret if if the exterminator, which is not the PC term we like to use, comes to your house or your business. So I guess that's, you know, saying palmetto bug or water bug is not, it's like a tricky way to admit you have cockroaches. Yes. And what do you prefer if not exterminator? We say pest management professionals. It used to be pest control operators, but uh, PMPs or pest management professionals is what we say, because 
when you say exterminate, it kind of alludes or makes you think that you're, you're going to eliminate what the insect is, and that's not feasible or possible or really desirable because you'd just be living in a cloud of pesticides. So they, I mean, they're professionals. They have to get certification. They have to be licensed. They have to um, continue with CEU. So um, they, they're professionals. And so I think we should give them that credit. I was going to ask, how did you get into this specialty? Uh, kind of by accident, like everybody probably gets into whatever they're into. I um, was a biology major as an undergrad, and I took an entomology elective, and I just really liked it. And I had um, a couple friends that were either in entomology already, were graduate students, or one that had switched over. And I said, you know, if I had some, if I had to do it over again, um, I think I would do entomology because it's it's a biological science, but it uses a model that I could understand better than you know sitting in a biochemistry class or something like that. So uh, my friend said, we'll just add it. So I double majored, got a dual major in biology and entomology, and then in those classes decided I wanted to stick around and get my graduate degree. So somebody said bugs and you said, sign me up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So to pivot back to gardening. So when we talk about gardening and we often talked about beneficial insects, what makes an insect beneficial versus what makes an insect a pest? The, The definition of a pest is something that's out of place. So a pest is really kind of a personal thing. Like what I consider a pest, I promise, um, I promise I consider fewer things to be pests than most people do, but a pest would just be something that's causing damage or that you don't desire to be there. I think a better definition of it is that there's some sort of like economic uh, damage to, if, if you're talking about landscape and gardening, you know, some, some significant damage that's, that's causing the decline of whatever the plant is that, that you've got in the ground. And a beneficial insect is, so if you're a good bug, I say that you fall under the category of one of three things. You're either a, a predator, one of the assassins, you're a pollinator, or you're a recycler or a decomposer. And I think by and large, that's the three categories that probably every beneficial insect would qualify as. Why do you think we're so afraid of bugs? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, you, you call them as assassinators, so that might be one reason. <laughs> that might be the reason, for sure. <laughs> I guess they're small and I don't, I mean, I just think that we, it's an innate thing that people grow up and learn from their parents and other adults around them to be afraid of them. But, you know, if you aren't afraid of them, then, you know, like my kids really aren't afraid of insects because they've been taught not to be, but it's probably like somebody who maybe is like a herpetologist and breeds snakes or things like their kids probably, and those around them are not afraid of those snakes because they've they've been taught that it's not necessary so but I don't know I don't know why we all are afraid of insects I uh, did a lot of traveling around the world and so some places that I've been there's actually been edible bugs and bugs on the menu so what is the nutritional value of eating bugs do you think that it's possible to um, adopt an insect-based diet I read a lot of things about going that way you know one article I read was called is cicada the new beef I don't know Mm Is it? Um, what are you? What are your thoughts about that? As far as eating insects for a sustainable diet? Yeah, I mean, so I know there's a lot about that that I could talk about. We used to actually do a program um, with the extension. We did bug dinners, insecta fiestas, where we had chefs that would incorporate insects as the protein into different, um, a, like a four or five course meal. 
Um, but the idea was to introduce and promote the, the idea of utilizing insects as your protein. And the thing is, is that North America is the only place where we don't, except, and actually not even all of North America, it's just Canada and um, the United States are the yes. only two countries that don't use insects as a normal part of their diet. And so you could say, well, we're the smart ones and everyone else is dumb, but they, you know, there are a very sustainable way to make meat and to produce protein. Shrimp, crustaceans are relatives of insects. They're all yes. arthropods. So if we eat a juicy grub, I promise it's going to grill up just like a shrimp will. But it, you know, if you think kind of long-term crickets are the way that we're doing things. There's a big cricket farm in Austin, Texas, and there's another one in, in Portland, Oregon, or around about that area. And so they're, they're not, you know, you may not want to actually eat the whole insect, but we're grinding them down like we do wheat or other things and using it as a, a, a way to build food that we find easier to consume. Um, but if you think about crickets, you know, I can breed crickets in my garage and I can yes. probably have a huge, you know, millions of them. So they take up less space. They need less water. They require less protein to produce protein. It's, I don't remember what it is for beef, but it's a crazy amount. It's like, yes. you know, they need 20 times the protein to give us one fold of that. Uh, so, I mean, there's lots of smart reasons and ways why eating insects is a good idea, but culturally we just kind of have to get over that hurdle of it being gross. Well, I'm telling you right now, if there's ever, ever an insectia fiesta on the ballot, I am all in. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I've, I've had grub worm, I've had uh, crickets, I've had everything. And once you deep fry it and put some seasoning on it, you yeah. know, it tastes like a French fry, not so bad at all. It does. Yeah, exactly. Somebody has to make it cool. <laughs> and once it becomes cool, then we'll be okay with it. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to like, we're going to make it cool. We're going to try to go on a campaign of making eating insects cool. Cause I think it's kind of neat. <laughs> we need like Matthew McConaughey to endorse it. And then... We need to get Matthew McConaughey on board. I think we should do a yes. petition. <laughs> if you're listening, Matthew McConaughey, please, <laughs> we need your help. <laughs> and so um, can you kind of tell us a little bit, what's one of the most interesting species you've ever encountered as far as bugs and insects? I get this question all the time. What's your favorite insect? And I, uh, I don't really have a good answer for that because it kind of just depends on the situation and where they are like if it's outside a praying mantis while it's just a basic insect that anyone everyone knows about they get me excited you know you see one and you just get excited but then there's other things like if you ask what my favorite butterfly was that's different too so it, it's all just kind of what situation I'm put in but I would say that the my, the, the most interesting group of insects I think are um, neuropterans which are like dobson flies and lace wings and ant lions and owl flies, but there's a couple in there that are very, um, they're not rare insects, but they're rarely seen and collected. And those are snake flies and uh, mantispids. And those are just really interesting, really cool insects. The whole group that are all predators. So, you know, there's no reason why you shouldn't like them because they're all beneficial. There's not one that is not. So we got ant lions, owl flies, snake flies. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I'm just imagining a little tiny baby fly that has the face of an owl just kind of buzzing around, but I'm sure that is not what it <laughs> <No>. is at all. <laughs> yeah, I'm making mental notes of stuff I want to Google once, we're, once we get off. <laughs> so we have we have a question for you as an entomologist and a bug insect expert. How do you feel about the iconic Pixar film, A Bug's Life, and its rival 
DreamWorks film, Ants. I, I like it. I, I watch A Bug's Life at least twice a summer because I usually hold a minimum of two camps and that's what we'll put on for the kids during their lunch break. And I think it's cute. I think it's fine. We used to watch Ants, but Ants has bad words in it and they aren't very nice to each other. And so, you know, when you have second grade kids and first grade kids in your camp, I don't think moms really want them coming home saying <laughs> C word, you know, so I, ants is okay. I can't, I, I don't watch it that one as much just because of the, you know, like, do they really have to cuss and be so mean to each other? I don't think so. Um, but a bug's life is really cute. Well, I think the real question here is at the summer camp, do you feed the kids crickets or chocolate covered ants? Yeah, we usually have um, on our last day, we'll have, uh, well, I'll set up a table. I'll have two tables and one has like normal snacks that they would want, you know, peanut butter crackers and, and chocolate and, um, you know, whatever kind of things kids want to eat. And then on the other table, I will make like cricket brownies where I'll buy crickets and put them in there or you you trick them that I like that. Well, they know it's there, but the idea is the table with the normal snacks that they're all going to choose from has the same amount of insects in it as the ones that they're eating. We eat insects all the time and we just don't know it. So yes. we talk about entomophagy, which is consuming insects. And one is passive where we do it every day and don't know it. And the other is active where we know we're actually doing it. And we talk about the benefits of, of eating insects and how it's sustainable and that kind of thing. And they eat like, you know, Chirps Chips is one of the brands that you can get that tastes like multi-grain chips. It's, you know, it's fine to snack on. So I introduce them to eating insects during the camps. Yeah. Like that. And so every time a gnat lands in my coffee because I leave it out too long, I should consider it doing my part. Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> who knows what it landed on before that, but and there lies the problem. That's the, that's the good point though. Like when you say, Oh, it's so gross to eat bugs, we're we're not eating the bugs that are crawling mm-hmm. around on the ground. These are farm-raised, you know, insects. So I kind of uh, equate it to we don't shoot a grackle and eat that. We purchase chicken that is farm-raised and we know what went into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we know what we're getting from it. So the same way with eating insects, it's farm-raised, it's it's I don't know if it's it's legal to say safe, but it, it's known, you know, what right. we're feeding it. So you should know what you're consuming. And that goes back to what you were saying about making it cool, how you're like integrating it into your work with these kids. You know, like we're going to hopefully, you know, that obviously that generation of, of kiddos, of people who've gone through that experience will grow up knowing it's not a big deal, you know? Right. Because for sure, these kids are going to see insects on the menu at restaurants. I mean, they're already on a lot of menus at kind of unique and boutique restaurants, but a lot of Mexican Mm -hmm. food places really not Tex-Mex, but like true Mexican food restaurants have lots of insects in, in the, on the menu, but these kids are going to see it more than we will for definitely. Yes. I actually, that's where I had uh, crickets was at a a restaurant Mm -hmm. in Mexico city. And I looked at the menu twice and I was like, this word, it means crickets, right? I was like, I'm here for it. So (laughs) hi there. Seed in the shade here with some interesting bug numbers. Ever thought about how many bugs are out there? Well, this should put your mind at ease. The number of insect species dwarves that of the combined population of every kind of land animal so far. Land animal species are vast in number and variety. However, the sum is still one third of the number of insect species. Incredibly, there are approximately 200 million bugs for every human on earth. In the United States, there are about 91,000 different species of insects, and across the world, experts have named 1.5 million insect species. Some scientists estimate that the number of distinct insect species may be as high as 30 million. So there you have it. 
wherever you go, there will always be a bug. Until next time. So are you afraid of any bugs? Are there any specific bugs that upset you or scare you? Um, I am. Well, I don't know if I'm so I'm, I'm also a beekeeper, but I have developed a really severe allergy to bees. Oh. So I'm afraid of getting into hives without a lot of protection. Um, but, you know, if you just trust your suit, if I avoid making a wasp nest, you know, upset with me or something like that. So I guess I have a, a fear there because it's like imminent death. But um, I and that is that is not what we're going for. Right. <laughs> but there's not anything that I look at and scream. I mean, I definitely don't like cockroaches, but mm -hmm. I don't I don't feel the need to scream if I see it, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm going to say there's three of us on this call and there's one of us that may in fact scream if they see a cockroach. But I'm going <laughs> to not name that person. <laughs> For sure. And so um, kind of bringing it to, to gardening, um, you know, what, what can gardeners do? Um, you know, we talked about beneficial insects earlier. And so what are things that gardeners can do to make a beneficial insect friendly environment? Um, there's lots of things that gardeners can do. So while my, my background is in urban and structural entomology, when I started working for Extension and I've been working for, I think in March, it'll be 18 years. So I've been here a while. Um, I've learned uh, over the years to kind of expand that beyond what's underneath the roof, but also dealing with the insects that are like kind of within the, the your fence line, right? Um, so I work a lot with master gardeners and garden clubs, and we do a lot of field trials. We have a horticulture agent in our office, so he and I work together a lot on uh, field trials with different insects and different plants. But I think one, one thing that we really promote is this idea of integrated pest management. And what that is, is looking at cultural control methods as a primarily, you know, like plant the right thing, make your plants happy, fertilize and water, all those kinds of stuff. And then physical control. So how do we keep them, exclude them from the garden or the landscape? Biological control is encouraging your good guys. And if you do all that, you don't have to use a lot of pesticides. Mm -hmm. So good cultural control and, you know, excluding the bad guys will help promote a lot of your beneficials, reducing pesticide use, and then just kind of stepping back and letting nature take its course. You know, it, sometimes it's hard to look at that milkweed and see aphids on it and, and not want to do something about it. But mm -hmm. if you just wait, or even that okra, okra always gets them, just yes. wait. And you'll probably find that you'll have a ton of ladybugs within a couple of days that are helping bring that population down. So if we, if you can just let nature do its thing and trust that nature will do its thing, then, then you increase that beneficial insect population. And then that moves over into all your other insects. I mean, into all your other plants. That seems to be the uh, answer for a lot of things is just, you know, just let things just wait, just let mm -hmm. it, just let it work itself out. Yeah, I, I am. Um, so one thing about IPM we always say is it's very, it's a very personalized approach because it's utilizing all the methods that you can to, to bring insects or bring pests to a tolerable level. So what I can tolerate is like really high. And my idea is if the insects are eating and ruining this plant, it probably shouldn't have been planted. I planted the wrong thing. It wasn't going to do well anyway. It wasn't the right year for it. So unless it's something that's like really meaningful, I have a lot of people that will call and say, I planted this tree in honor of someone that died. Well, we want to try to, you know, control that, right? We want to make sure that that's happy and healthy, but stuff that isn't, is just a, a you know, a perennial or things that your, your veggie garden that's going to die in a couple months anyway, maybe just chalk it up to 
it was not meant to be. You're breaking be okay. my heart. You're breaking my heart, Molly. You're breaking my heart. <laughs> my husband says the same thing. And I am out there trying to like save every single plant in the garden. So I should heed your advice more. You, you should, because, you know, if you if you leave those sick plants in, they emit pheromones that are attracting bad bugs. So you're actually increasing your bad bug population when you try to like help these little pitiful plants along or the worst thing that we do as gardeners is we don't recognize when it's given us all it can give us your tomato plant's not going to give you hundreds of pounds of tomatoes you know some it's not it's not (laughs) some varieties may only give you like two tomatoes and once you get it you just gotta say okay and let it go so dear listeners we have to give up our pitiful plants (laughs) we have to to live and let live They have a finite life. They don't live forever. Even trees, they have a finite life. So I have a very important question for you. As an expert, who would win in an arm wrestling contest between a grasshopper and a cricket? Probably a grasshopper. Why? They're bigger and stronger. But I don't know. I mean, they're both, it depends, I guess, on the species um, of grasshopper. Crickets are pretty, they're wimpy, but they're also, I mean, they don't really care. They're pretty they're scavengers and they're pretty gross. A long time ago, I had an emperor scorpion and I fed it um, crickets and I gave it too many. And I don't know if this thing was sick already or what, but the crickets actually killed the emperor scorpion. They chewed through its, through its tail or, you know, through its kind of its abdomen. So crickets can, he had to have been dying from the inside out and they were attracted to that, but they, they killed, they put it out of its misery. I love everything about that story. <laughs> and I feel like I just learned a lot about emperor scorpions and cricket life. Yes. And then you said there was, I didn't realize there was more than one species of grasshopper. Oh yeah. There's, um, well, I don't know how many there are, but there are in Texas, there are at least, at least five families. And so within the family, you've oh. probably got hundreds of, of species, maybe, maybe not, but you've, but yeah, there's lots of species. I know that the grasshoppers that are in North Florida are like the size of humans. <laughs> and I think they have jobs and drive cars because they are like enormous, like the size of my foot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then going back to the questions about um, guard, you know, gardens and, and, and making, you know, beneficial insect friendly environment. What are insects that are normal to see in your garden? It kind of depends on where you are. I'd say aphids are probably in everyone's landscape. Also depends on what time of year you're in. It's pretty cool throughout most of the United States in the winter time, but the in the springtime you'll see thrips and aphids and white flies probably. It really just depends because some places are more arid and so they'll see a different type of insect population and then the wetter places we'll see others and you know caterpillars aphids white flies stink bugs so are would you say that aphids and stink bugs stink bugs are normal in the garden because that is the bane of contention of most gardeners are the aphids and the the stink bugs and the caterpillars but that's perfectly normal in a garden yeah i mean you planted their host plant you planted what they prefer to feed on so it always amazes me when gardeners get so upset that they planted tomatoes and they got a tomato hornworm or they planted cauliflower and cabbage and they got cabbage loopers. It's like, well, it's there, your plants are outside in nature. There's nothing stopping these bugs from finding it and they're (laughs) going to find it. So yeah, if it's not, 
if you don't have insects on your plants, then I might be a little bit worried about what's happening in your environment, actually. <laughs> so I'm going to take that to mean that I have a good environment if I yeah. have them out there. Yeah. You do. <laughs> I want you guys to know, too, as we're having this conversation, I have a little fly hanging out around here, flying around me. So he must know that we're talking about, <laughs> about insects right now. And so I just want to ask a couple of questions. So this is a fun game that we would like <laughs> to play with our guest, Molly, tonight. Okay. And it's called Homey. Versus not so much. Okay. So I'm going to name a couple of insects and different animals in the garden. And I want you to tell me if they're a homie, meaning they're a friend of the garden, or if they will eat up all your shit and leave you crying and sad. Okay. Okay. All right. So the first ladybugs. Homie. Slugs. Uh, it depends. <laughs> I mean, if you've got tons and tons of them, then no, not so good. But if all you're finding are, you know, a handful, then, then who cares? So do you have a something in between homey and and not so homey? Like I don't, but I do not like slugs at all. They terrify me. So they are definitely on the naughty list. But we, we'll put them in the middle category. Okay, what about frogs? I don't know. They're not an insect. I guess they're a homey. <laughs> they, have, they don't have enough legs. I don't know enough about it. <laughs> Butterflies. Uh, homey. Spiders. Homey. Caterpillars. Depends. I mean, did you plant dill to try to get a black swallowtail? Then um, homey. Or, you know, is it one of the species that is eating a plant you don't want it to eat, then, then not so homey. <laughs> Earthworms. Homey, I think. Homey? I think they're homey. Aphids. We talked a lot about them. Not so homey. <laughs> Moths. The moth itself usually has no mouth parts, so they're, you know, nothing to worry about. But moths usually produce caterpillars that lay eggs that turn into the species of caterpillars that are economically significant. So homey to, or not, who cares to the adults, but not homey to their babies. Okay. Cockroaches. Marcella's favorite. I mean, you know, outside that's where they're supposed to be. And in nature, they're eating decaying plant material and fruit that falls, you know, off persimmon and other trees. They're eating dog poop and other stuff that we don't really want to pile up. So the pest is in the situation. So in that situation, they're just fine. But when they get in our house, then we don't want them so much. But in your garden, it might scare you, but it's not doing anything bad to your plants. They eat decaying stuff. So I'd ask, well, why, if they're eating your plant, why is it decaying? Mm, that's See, there's nothing you can say that will, <laughs> that will persuade me that they're okay but I'll take your word for it <laughs> what about wasps they're homey in that they will eat caterpillars and other things that you may not want on your plants but not so homey if you run across a nest and they defend that nest okay what about lady beetles homey that's the same lady beetles and ladybugs are the same thing flies kind of depends on the situation you know inside your house is if they're you know we we actually consider flies on our texas 4-h contest the kids all have to know they have to know so many common names so many species their order and they have to know their pest status and most of the flies blow flies house flies things like that they're considered variable, which it means it depends on the situation. So blowflies outside eating that dead squirrel and letting it, you know, go away quicker is good. But inside your house, it's a nuisance, but it's not really a pest. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for playing our game of homie, not so much today. And I actually have an, a, a question based on something that you said. And so I think a lot of our listeners are going to be interested in this. So we hear that ladybugs are okay and Mexican lady beetles or different types of lady beetles, Asian lady beetles are not okay, but you say they're the same. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, lady. So technically, they're lady. They're all lady beetles, or we call them ladybird beetles. And but I mean, everybody says ladybug. But there are a lot of different species of ladybugs or lady beetles, and one species is the Asian lady beetle. And it was a USDA project brought over to help control aphids in some particular crop. And one of its just weird characteristics. So normally, you know, right now they're out there eating mm -hmm. aphids and they're helping to control pests. But when it gets cold, they do something different than other ladybugs might do where they like to find a protected spot to overwinter and, and make it through the cold months as adults. Mm -hmm. And so they'll get into your house and places like that. And, you know, at least in Texas, when it gets warm, then they think it's springtime and it inevitably will be warm on a February or a January day yes. and they get to moving and you see them crawling around your house. So they're a nuisance in that way um, up north where they have true winters and it really does stay cold for months at a time without warming up, then they are much more of a structural pest, but just use window screens and seal things up well. And general exclusion practices will keep them from coming in, but they're not bad. They're just, they just get in your house. They just have a bad rap. They do have a bad rap. Yeah. And, and, you know, social media does a really good job of making them look really bad. There used to be a, a picture that would, went around circulated with a dog with um, all those Asian lady beetles in their mouth. Mm -hmm. And the story is that dog would eat, he ate some plant that they were all on, or he, he, he liked to chew on something and the lady beetles were on it. And when they're threatened and they're scared, they clamp down with their mouth part. So they were all stuck to the roof of his mouth, but they weren't like trying to suffocate the dog or anything like that. Wow. Okay. So as we kind of pair down here toward the end of our interview, I'm just like learning so much from you, but as we get toward the end here, what, what's a common misconception about insects you feel like you want to set straight for us? today and for our listeners that all of them are bad when you know in reality only about five percent are actually harmful and then another one this isn't insects but that spiders are venomous and they're going to bite you and kill you but there's only two types at least in texas there's only two types the recluse and the widow that are medically harmful all the others leave them alone they're great to have outside i'm writing this down recluse and widows <laughs> okay. that's helpful for sure where can listeners get more information about beneficial insects the a&m agrilife entomology group we have some fact sheets and uh, a website that if you can figure out how to get to it um, a bunch of different pages on different species of insects we're trying to continue to build that and um, update it that's kind of a, a moving target though but that's kind of the main place that i contribute to to see information about insects so other places um, outside of texas may have some sort of agrilife center or some sort of place that they can go and they'll definitely have master gardeners or yes. programs by different um like different counties will have different programs so that's another yeah. place they can probably look awesome thank you every single state i think except for two states they had to get rid of their extension programs when there was kind of an economic crisis but chances are in your state whatever your land grant university university is there is an extension program tied to it and they support and reach every audience in every county within your state. And would you say that 4-H is also another good option for kids who might be, have interest in this sort of topic? Yeah, there's FFA and there's 4-H and both of them have entomology contests. So, and they, and this is United States wide, but also within Texas. So you can, you can join FFA or 4-H and there's a good chance that around you, there's some sort of an entomology contest to get with kids, like-minded kids that like bugs to learn more about them. Awesome. So where can listeners follow you and get more information from you? I have a couple of podcasts that I do myself. One is called Bugs by the Yard. 
And the and that's about landscape insects, kind of the things that are within your yard. The other one is unwanted guests, and that one covers urban and structural pests. And then they can also follow events and other things that we post on our website. And that's bear b e x a r uh, hyphen t x dot t a m u dot edu. And we'll make sure we put all these links in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming to talk with us. I learned so much from everything you had to say. So thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm definitely going to not give things in my garden as hard of a time now. So so I think that our our listeners probably learned something, got some good tidbits as well. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me. This has been the Seedy and Shady AF podcast. Thanks to all the peas in our pod for listening. We believe in you and we believe in your plants. Follow us for more shenanigans on Instagram at Seedy and Shady Pod. Until next time, stay seedy, stay shady. And remember, sketchy gardening is still gardening.